When have you asked yourself, what's the point of my life? What am I here for? From the time we're born, we're fed the story that life is random, a product of chance. But if that's true, why do we long for so much more? Why does it seem like the human soul is made for meaning, designed for direction? Here's why. God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place among certain people. Let's explore how you are wired by God. Good morning, good morning. We are, uh, we are here. You guys excited? I'm so grateful to be here uh, because we're in a big group of people, which is awesome if you're like me and you're an extrovert. Just love seeing human beings. But here's my conviction that uh, all of us have a little bit of introvert inside of us, don't we? All of us have a little introvert, and our society is increasingly enabling us to embrace our introvert. Uh, let me give you two examples. The first is this uh, really uh, increasingly popular app, Instacart. Instacart is amazing because in more primitive you know, forms of human, humanity, the savages actually needed to see other human beings in order to get their groceries. Now we sophisticated folk just like use an app like from our PJs at home and have them delivered. Um, me personally, I still go in because of that high extrovert thing. Um, the, other, the other one is fascinating because uh, we are no longer living in 1950 where people actually make phone calls to one another. And so if you are high introvert or, or you just don't want to talk to people on the phone because who calls? like actually makes a phone call like a psychopath. Um, for you, iPhone has given you the little side button, right? Send to voicemail. Send to voicemail has allowed us to just cease interacting with human beings. But here is the bad news we are going to find straight from Scripture today, is that you are called to people. You are called to people. Uh, now, this is the premise of our entire series Looking at the screen, we've been talking about how you are wired for something, and what is it? That God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place, now get this, among unique people. Today our focus is that you are called to serve among unique people. So to that end, we are going to dive into the greatest letter ever written, and what is that? Thank you. Well done. The book of Romans. What if she said James? Like, how would that go? Open up to uh, Romans chapter 15. And while you are turning there in your Bibles, uh, what I want you to see is that we are going to see kind of two things. And Romans 15 and even 14 bear these out. The first one is the nature of gospel relationships. Uh, basically asking this question, how should we treat people in light of the gospel? The second thing we're going to see is the concentration of gospel relationships, that Paul focuses attention on a certain group of people for the mission he was on. Uh, so let's begin by just reading the passage in its entirety, looking at verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the, Holy, uh, by the, power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who, ne who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to be sanctified by your word. Lord, we pray that your glory would be shown today in the, ex in the exposing of the truth of the gospel. I pray that as we experience the gospel today, that it would sink all the way down and begin to touch every part of our lives, including the way we do relationships. God, including the way that we move out and are called to move out to serve people who don't yet know you. God, if there's anyone here today who does not yet know Jesus Christ, may they encounter the first and primary relationship with you. And I pray that today you would be honored and glorified by everything we study and look at in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today from this passage is the nature of gospel relationships. The nature of gospel relationships. And we're going to see a few things that comprise like what it means to love people in light of the gospel. Uh, so looking at verse 14, it says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I want you to pay careful attention here. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, my brothers there. Why does he say my brothers? Well, this is an interesting term. It's Adelphoi in the Greek, which is where we get the term Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, of brotherly love. And what it's not just saying is that he only loves the guys, like, because they're the brothers or whatever. He's saying uh, Adelphoi is in reference to siblings, to uh, men and women. And why is he referring to that? Is he like, you know, texting his little brothers and sisters? Like, is that like Paul's family? Well, no, Paul actually has not even met most of the Roman Christians here. Instead, he only knows that they believe in Jesus. And hear me on this. That is enough to make them family. The nature of gospel relationships, first and foremost, is that it is a familial investment. It's familial. This is affectionate, familial language. In fact, one of the critiques of the early church by the uh, Roman world around them was that they were like married to each other and yet called each other brother and sister. And they're like, what is wrong with you guys? That's like a little creepy. He called her, you know, his sister. Like, what is this? Well, it's not because they're actually related. It's saying that the love we have in Jesus makes us family. That the only thing we, we have in common at times is that we know Jesus, and that is enough. Uh, hear me on this. When you invest in Christian brothers or sisters, you do so with the heart and the posture of a brother or of a sister. Because we are family, despite having nothing else in common, despite being natural enemies, if you know Jesus, you're my brother. 
If you know Jesus, you're my sister. Uh, I love this. Uh, the other day, my uh, wife was telling me that my two younger children, Remy, who's four, and Capri, who's almost three, uh, they, they've actually begun to play together. And they were in uh, her room with the little kitchen thing that we bought on a little toy kitchen. And so they're like playing house. And uh, she's like washing the dishes. And he's like getting ready for work. And he ends up walking out of the room and says to her, bye, I'm going to work now. And she says to him, have a great day. To which he responded, make sure and lock the door. (laughs) Just like, where have they heard this before? You know, it's just this beautiful thing that family has this precious and contagious love to it. It's something good and it's something right. And Christian brothers and sisters need to have this. Psalm 133.1 is worth memorizing, which says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's what it should be. My wife and I have moved to several different cities and been part of several different churches. And kind of the stirring you always have is like, are we even going to make friends here? (laughs) Like, will anyone get us and all this stuff? But mark my words, every single time we've moved to another church, you know what we have found? We found family. Because what we have in common is deeper and richer than blood. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Secondly, I want you to notice this word. He says that they are full of all goodness. They are full of all goodness. Uh, The word goodness here, when you hear it, it's almost like maybe they're like moral people. Um, One of the problems with that is for the past uh, chapter or so, he has been kind of rebuking them because they're fighting with one another. And so what is this term goodness? Well, what it is, is it's fundamentally relational. Uh, The term goodness here is fundamentally relational. It means this, Colin Cruz, the commentator, writes, goodness may be described as a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. It's fundamentally this relational goodness, not just in an internal goodness. And so he is saying, you guys relate with one another and have the ability and capacity in the gospel to relate with one another for each other's best interests. Furthermore, he writes that they are not only full of goodness, but they are also filled with all knowledge. They're filled with all knowledge. And what kind of knowledge are we talking about here? Um, You know, when I hear the word knowledge, all I think of is the bookworm with the glasses and they're like going in deep. Is that the kind of knowledge we're talking about here? Well, what he says is he goes on the kind of all knowledge that what? Enables them to instruct one another, to instruct one another. This is not the, the mere ability to like convey information. Like you guys are just so good and, at the ability to convey information. No, this term means to admonish. It means to counsel. It means to encourage one another specifically to be in line with Jesus. And so what he's talking about here is like, you guys have the ability in Jesus to challenge one another and even uh, correct one another so that you guys might look more and more like Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. Now, this kind of flies in the face of our cultural paradigm uh, because in today's culture, most of us, we do not like to challenge other people, right? In fact, our culture defines love as affirmation. Like if I really love somebody, I should just kind of affirm where they're at. Um, So you kind of imagine your your friend comes up to you, uh, maybe a brother in the Lord, and he's there because he's frustrated. And you're like, what's going on, man? He just starts like full-blown like gossiping. Like, I just hate this other dude. Like, consider how like they've treated me. They looked at me the wrong way and I just want to destroy them. And you know, they're just like going in and you're like, oh yeah. What's kind of expected of you in that moment? Well, you're expected to go, 
yeah, bro, like I just totally understand. In fact, I hate them too. You know what you should do is jump on Twitter, start a hashtag movement and cancel them. They deserve it. You've suffered trauma, you know, like just dive deeper into to who you are, bro, and hating them. Like we just, we want to affirm people. Furthermore, it goes both ways. That all of us, we sort of want to be likable. That we have this uh, kind of almost idolatrous desire for likability, don't we? Um, this is 100% me, which most of you are like, I'm, I'm literally, literally thinking that right now. Like, you want to be liked, and now you're talking about how I want to be liked. Convict thyself. And so, uh, like my wife the other day was looking through um, my old yearbook. And I was like, why are you doing that? Please don't. And so she's seeing all these like younger versions of me. And she's like, you were like on all the different pictures on every different page for like the first few years of high school. And I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, everybody liked you. What happened? <laughs> what happened? And I'm literally like, like thinking about this, like actually what did happen? You know, like, and I, I was thinking about like, oh, I got saved at 16. And part of like getting saved at 16, I was like, man, now that I know Jesus and my life is being conformed to Jesus, people will like me more. And the exact opposite happened. <laughs> like people started to like me less. What is this? Well, here's the deal. Like we are not called to be likable. Fundamentally, we are called to lay down our likableness for the sake of others Christ likeness that we are actually going to have to challenge one another, instruct one another in Jesus. Psalm 27, five and six says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Like we need to have open love sometimes through challenging one another, risking and laying on the line our own likableness for the sake of their Christ likeness. And the contrary is too true as well that we need to open ourselves to being challenged and not have our guard up, but to say, how can I conform more thoroughly to Jesus? Instruct me, brother. Instruct me, sister. But this actually brings us to number three, uh, coming straight from the text here, is that not only is, uh, are we to look out for each other's best interest, that's number two, that we look out for each other's best interest, but number three, we are, we are to be in gospel, relationships are marked by being courteous by being courteous. And this is actually very important. What Paul is demonstrating here is he just rebuked them for like two chapters. He's like, you guys are terrible. You need to stop sinning against one another. The strong need to care for the weak and all of this stuff. And he's so, so he's, going, he's going after them. But then he sort of stops in this passage and he's like, but I want you to know that you're filled with all knowledge. And you know, you guys, you are filled with all goodness. And so he's sort of like, like buttering them up or something. And actually all throughout history, literally like, like tons of uh, ancient commentators have all noted that this feels like a strange kind of insertion here. Like what is going on? He was just rebuking them. And now he's like suddenly encouraging them. And he's actually been accused, Paul, of uh, just committing flattery here like lying to them and saying like, you know, like softening the blow a little bit. But better commentators have pushed back on that and they said, no, you're missing the point. Paul here isn't flattering them and sort of blowing smoke. What he is doing is he's being courteous in the gospel. And hear me on this. Christian correction requires a scalpel, not a sawzall. It requires a scalpel, not a sawzall, where we cut out only that which is sick in order that they might be healed. It's not tearing away at our 
uh, uh, brothers and sisters as though they are enemies. And so he is demonstrating here kindness. Look, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25, teaching leaders and pastors says this, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, if it's not our job, but the Holy Spirit's job to convict a brother or sister of sin, then we better do it in a way that acknowledges our need for the gospel and his ability to change hearts, which is gentleness. And so for those of you who are like, I've been waiting for the sermon about instructing one another, and you were like, yes, this is my moment. You need to know this. It's a scalpel and not a sawzall. And then that leads us to number four here. Number four is that it always, if we're going to be a go- in gospel relationships, it always requires Jesus's grace. And I'm getting this from the text as well, because Paul says he's confident in their ability to pour into each other like Jesus, not because of them, but because of Jesus's work in them. Here's what I mean. That word for knowledge he used, he uses in another place. He says, you guys are filled with all knowledge. But he's not talking about how educated they are. He is talking about how knowledgeable Jesus is within them. The other place this is used is in Colossians 2 verse 3, which tells us that this knowledge is not found in us or our intelligence, but it is hidden in Christ. That's where true knowledge comes from. So as you receive the grace of Jesus, that grace flows through you by his knowledge and not your own. Secondly, he uses this word goodness, right? But where is the other place he uses the word goodness in the writings of Paul? Well, here's where we find it, Galatians 5. And in Galatians 5, we find this most famous list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Meaning this, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, all of those things, including goodness, they do not flow from us. They flow from the grace by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. They're sourced in Him. And so let me ask you this, brother or sister in Christ, do you rely on you or do you rely on the grace of Jesus as you interact with people? As well, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, you need to know the first and most important relationship is that you encounter the grace of Jesus. That's what we need. I'll tell you this, um, for me, I have experienced the grace of Jesus uh, probably most clearly in the way I've been treated by the church, in the way that I've been treated specifically by older men and women in the church. Uh, So I mentioned that I got saved at 16, and at 16, I'm coming straight from the world and just like my own ideas and following my heart, okay? And then I get saved by Jesus. And so uh, I did not know like the way Christians were to carry themselves, okay? And so I'm like going to this youth group and like other teenagers, they were like, who does this guy think he is? You know, like he doesn't know how to dress like a Christian. He doesn't know the Christian cuss words, you know, like shoot and darn and dang it. Like I only knew the secular ones. Like, and so they're like, who is this like hypocritical jerk? He can't be saved by Jesus, which was fair, right? Like that was all true. However, it was the older people at that church who, who were just willing, they could see straight through me just like these teenagers, but they also came alongside me. And they showed me that, like, man, like, we've needed grace. And, man, let me introduce you to the way of Jesus in your, in your life. Just to give you a sense for this, um, uh, the first worship song, because 
for, I, I don't even know why, but I was like playing in the worship band, which is its own problem. Um, but like I wrote this worship song uh, on my way home from like the first, one of the first retreats I'd ever went to. And uh, it, the lyrics of this were blatantly heretical. Like, and I'm just sitting here like, and, and heretical on just, you know, minor secondary doctrine like the Trinity, okay? Just like calling Jesus the Father and all this stuff. And I remember looking at my youth pastor because he kind of like turned his head like this, like, like he's like hearing me, like seeing these words. And you know what I'll never forget was how he just like paused and kind of let it go for the moment. And how he, he didn't shame me, he didn't make me feel embarrassed. He came alongside me later and was like, hey, like, hey, talk to me about your worship song and let's look at the gospel and, and how, how does the Trinity work? And like just, just discipled me. It was the grace of Jesus flowing through him. I had uh, publicly argued for unbiblical views from everything from morality to doctrine on Facebook. But then even as like I grew as a Christian and started to learn like a more sanctified view of doctrine and started actually having a mature view of scripture, even then as like a young man or whatever, like with right doctrine, I was still just an overall irritating, immature, yet somehow simultaneously overconfident doofus in personality. Okay, because you can have right doctrine and still be a jerk. In fact, right doctrine sometimes helps you be more of a jerk in the church. And so that was me. And, and here's, hear me on this. The church has just been very gentle with me. Sanctification happens in our lives as other believers show us grace. And how good is God in his grace? See, we believe in a Jesus who didn't like move towards us because our spiritual resume was something to show off. No, it was Jesus's resume that that he ultimately took with him to the cross where he, our savior, never died for good people, but died for broken people like you and me. And on that cross, he absorbed the penalty that we deserve for our sin, rejecting God. And he took it willingly, not when we were the shining brightness, but when we, you and I were at our darkness. And so he rose again and empowers you now to move towards other people in the same way that he has moved towards you by grace. And so Paul now moves from uh, the nature of gospel relationships to this second idea as we carry on in the passage. So we're moving now from the nature of gospel relationships to the concentration of gospel relationships. And we're going to see three things. Uh, One, he concentrates on a unique group of people. Number two, that aren't yet being reached by others. And number three, that they might worship Jesus. So look at the first one. This idea that Paul... Uh, ministered to and focused his service on a unique group of people, verse 15. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly, uh, actually moved to 16 here. It says this, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Um, What is he talking about here that he has moved towards the gospel, that he is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles? Well, what Paul is talking about is that he was serving a specific group of people on purpose. He, he had in mind a specific kind of person that he wanted to minister to. Um, we actually find this to be a theme in the New Testament. There are uh, perhaps a dozen verses on this, but you will find over and over again, even though Paul goes to synagogues to minister to Jews, he is most he emphasizes the most of his time and his energies on reaching the Gentiles. In fact, looking at Galatians uh, 2, 7 through 8, It says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is Gentiles, non-Jews, other nations than 
the Jewish nation. Just as Peter, now he's going to contrast himself here, had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that is Jewish people. Verse 8, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And we see in the broader context of Romans that he's doing the same thing. He acknowledges that Jesus went first to the Jews. And now here he says, but my ministry is particularly to the Gentiles. And I want you to see this. This is not to the detriment of serving other people that aren't Gentiles, but this is with particular emphasis on a particular group of people for the sake of the gospel. And this is fascinating to me. Um, This is what we call in scripture something that is descriptive, not prescriptive. And so Paul is saying, I have this unique call. But this isn't a command to say, you then, you need to have like some very specific, unique call to one, very, you know, a few very specific people, right? So let's get this straight here. However, missionaries throughout history and those who have taught on global missions have often noted that although this isn't a, you know, like a command on our lives, there is a ton of wisdom here. There is a ton of wisdom to say, I am going to focus my energies on a certain group of people on a certain group of people. Um, Let me just give you an illustration of this. That um, imagine you went to an island and uh, you you are ministering to people's health in particular. And this island has suffered an an earthquake and a tsunami. And there are literally uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are dying of various diseases and suffering. And so the first doctor lands, there's two doctors. First doctor lands, he says, Oh my gosh, looking at the carnage. He says, I need to work harder. And so he stays up late every night. He is serving these people. He is seeing people healed. And he deals with perhaps a hundred people at the limits of his humanity, just working his tail off. But at the end of those first 30 days or whatever, he gets weary, he gets sick. And because he's overworked, he ultimately gets the very same diseases that they're dealing with and needs to be shipped home. Just not effective. Then you have another doctor and she arrives on the same scene. Uh, And she sees all of the same carnage. But rather than saying, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can, she says, I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to focus on a team. And as I develop this team of uh, medical folks, they are going to then go out and they are going to heal and minister to those who need healing. And as they heal people and see people healed, what they're going to do is train them in every uh, medical thing they possibly can and send them out. And then ultimately, all of these people on this island are ministered to because of a different, not a different heart, but a different methodology. And missionaries throughout history have said, there is an enormous wisdom here that you cannot serve everybody. Like even just taking myself as an example, in this season of life, I love hanging out with old people, okay? And so if you're an old person in here, like I love you, like we we can hang out, I'm for that. Uh, Particularly, I like spending time with older saints because they can minister to me. However, I spend a majority of my time specifically targeting those who are 17 to about 26. That's where I'm spending most of my time because here is the reality. We are not Jesus, And so as we move out to have gospel relationships with people to see them grow in Jesus, we need to realize that we do it by his power and we need to be specifically engaged with certain people. That's just wisdom. Listen, if you try to reach everyone, you will hardly reach anyone. But if you focus on a few, you often reach many. That's the truth. And that's what we see here in Paul in his particular ministry. Secondly, I want you to notice that that he's focusing on people that aren't yet being reached by others. Look at verse 20. 
He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. What is he talking about here? Well, we'll pay very close attention to this. He is very clearly talking about engaging with people groups as a missionary who have no witness of the gospel. And so this is very important. And maybe this is some of you. Maybe this is. That there are people who are called of God like Paul to say, I am going to reach those who have never been reached in totally like areas and countries across the globe where they've never heard the gospel. And that is awesome. And if that's you, like God bless you. That's fantastic. That's beautiful. But here's the deal. We don't even need to go across the world to reach an unreached people group, do we? We live in one of the least church regions in the U.S., and more and more the influence of the gospel is waning here. And as people uh, experience the effects of this, you know what I'm seeing over and over, and we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the people are saying, this place is so godless, I just need to move away. And so it's like, let's buy a house in Idaho, babe, like we just can't do this anymore. And God bless you if you're going there, preach the gospel there. Like, may you be blessed in that pursuit. But for those of you who feel that that is not you, I want to urge you to stay and to preach the gospel here. Because more and more, we are going to see this this region fall away from Christ. We are going to see more and more this region say no to the things of God. But that gives us all the more emphasis on reaching those who have not yet been reached. I remember going to this uh, church planning conference uh, through a network called Acts 29 years and years ago with my wife. And we're sitting in Southern California, hundreds of church planters sitting around us. And they have this uh, key leader, um, the president of that uh, network named Matt Chandler. And Matt Chandler is just kind of a well-known speaker. And uh, I'll never forget because he preached for like over an hour. Some of you guys are like, I struggle with the 30-minute sermons. I'm like, try an hour, bro. And uh, so it's like, man, it's so passionate here at Rise. Meet Matt Chandler, you guys, because he's yelling at the top of his lungs. And I will never forget it because he was yelling about something in particular, sitting with all these men and women who wanted to be part of new works of God. And he said, listen to me, do not try to reach Christians. He said, that is not church planting. That's just transfer growth. Church planning is about going into the wilderness and seeing those who are farthest from Jesus get reached by Jesus because eternity is forever and judgment is real. And we have the only message of hope, the gospel. He said, do not waste your time on that. He's like, of course, serve, love these people. But the truth is there are people just down the street who don't know Jesus and we need to have a particular emphasis on them. Again, prescriptive, like this is what Paul did, but I would argue this is what we should be about as well as the church. We should be about this as well. Listen, we aren't trying to convert Christians to more hip church programs here at Rise, but we are sent to invade hell and see people delivered from darkness to light. Amen? Amen, we get fired up about that, but hear me on this. Like I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Like, we need to hear this. And if you're here from another church and you're saying, like, I'm the transfer growth. Like, what do I do in this moment? Listen, I'm not here to shame you. But if you're coming to rise, let me ask you this. Will you get on mission with us? Like, if you're going to occupy a seat, will you multiply yourself? Will you say, I'm coming here not for more hip or helpful programs, but I am coming here because I exist now to saturate the city with the gospel of Jesus? Uh, Man, I've been convicted of this lately because as a pastor, like, all of my circle groups 
are like saved folks, okay? Like they're just all Christians. And I'm just thinking about like, man, I go to the coffee shop, right? And I drive there and I'm there for like kind of like me time, you know, like I'm driving through the, the drive through or whatever. And this is like my five minutes of me time. And I'm getting uh, an Americano, the official drink of pastors, right? And so like everything is just Christian in my paradigm. But more and more, the Holy Spirit is like, you are not here for Americanos or your own you time, bro. You're on God's time. You need to be concerned with the salvation and, be, and, and the eternity of those who are not yet saved. Like, are you engaging with friends and neighbors, co-workers, family members who don't yet know the grace of Jesus. That's what we need to be about, going where no one has gone, reaching those who no one has yet reached. And then finally, he tells us that the why, the why, and I want you, I want you to pay very careful attention. He says that, or I'm saying that they might worship Jesus, that they might worship Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. He says, to be a minister of, the, of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you're new to the Bible or uh, if you're just breathing in here, you may have read this and gone, sorry, what? Like, what priestly, like, what's he talking about here? Um, Here's what he's saying, that he's using the metaphor of a priest of the Old Testament, and he's talking about his ministry. And he's saying, I'm essentially a priest, okay? And what the priest's job in the Old Testament was to enter the temple and to offer sacrifices to God. And so you would take a a sacrifice, an offering, an animal, and you would kill the animal, and then you would place it on the altar. And you would burn that animal. And animals were uh, money, currency back then, right? Like, they still sort of are if you go to White's Meats or whatever. It's like, wow, this is currency. (laughs) And essentially, you're burning this ribeye to say, like, Man, God is better than the world's greatest thing. Like, God is my treasure. This is an offering before God as the smoke rises to say, you are enough. You are enough. And we, we serve and we worship you. That's what he's saying here. And so now taking that metaphor, he's saying, look, I'm the priest. And those I'm seeking to serve, the Gentiles, they are the offering. And what I'm to do is to place their lives on the altar. And I am to light them on fire. And what are they being lit on fire with? He says, the gospel of God. It's the gospel that lights people on fire. And the end result is that they would become people who worship Jesus. That their lives, he says in another place, that we would be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, conforming to Jesus. That's worship. Worship is not just music. Worship is not just like uh, what you do on a Sunday. Worship is the way we live our lives centered on Jesus. And so hear me on this. If you are on mission with us here at Rice, and if you've been going through this Wired series thinking about what are my gifts and what is my wiring, that's all wonderful. If and only if you are using those gifts, using said gifts, for the purpose that people who don't know Jesus would find and encounter and be transformed by Jesus, and their lives would be unto God as worshipers moving forward. We are seeking to see people worship. We don't reach people to check a box. We do not reach people for our success and like we're building our network or something silly like that. We don't reach people to boost our own ego and have notches on our belt spiritually. We don't reach people to build our organization. We serve people that they might meet, be transformed, and worship Christ. And so here's the question for you. How do you do that? Like, how do you see that other people would become worshipers? Well, we said you preach the gospel. 
But here's the problem. We can preach the gospel all day, but if you don't personally believe and you aren't personally affected by the gospel, then no one's going to believe anything you're saying. I love what John Wesley says in light of this. He says, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Have you been affected by the greater sacrifice of Jesus on that cross? Do you personally follow Jesus? Is your life worship towards Jesus day in and day out? Right now, we're gonna have an opportunity. We wanna serve people and be in gospel relationships, but you need to have an encounter right now with Jesus. And you need to have your heart rekindled by that same gospel. Will you pray with me? God, we give you glory. We give glory to Jesus in this moment, the name of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the worth of Jesus. God, you are greater than the world's greatest thing. And God, right now, I pray that hearts would be cut afresh. But while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And that this gospel would continue to have power. Lord, where everything in this world fades, and even our relationships with other people are not enough, may you be enough in this moment. And may our relationship with you, that transformative and beautiful relationship, that gospel that we cling to, may that change hearts in this moment. May during this time that we're singing, we be reoriented to your kingdom and your goodness and your worth and your weight so that then we move out and we serve others and we do gospel relationships your way. And all God's people said, amen.